Good morning. Good morning. If you're a young person in here, 6th through 12th grade, you're welcome to join. It looks like everybody did that wants to, but if you're in that age category and you'd rather go upstairs and and uh, be with those your age and listen to Philip, then uh, you're welcome to do that. Hey, how's everybody doing? Doing well? Good. Enjoying the weather? Great weather. We're right into fall, aren't we? We are there. Hey, I want to start with kind of a funny story. It was about a man I heard who had some serious pain. He'd been lingering for a long time. He finally went to the doctor and um, put him through all sorts of tests, all kinds of uh, blood tests and uh, exams and uh, x-rays, all sorts of stuff. And he and his wife were in the room waiting for the doctor to come back with the results of the test, and the, uh, they didn't have a clue what was going on, but they, he knew the pain was getting a little bit too intense. So doctor comes back, knocks on the door, and opens the door, and motions for the wife to come out and says, I'd like to speak to you first. <clears throat> so they look at each other and like, okay, so the wife goes out. The doctor said, well, the news I have about your husband is, is not good. It's not good. In fact, he's, uh, he doesn't have, long, doesn't have long to live, but he said, the good news is we can do something about this. We can prolong his life into many, many more months and perhaps even years. He told the wife, he said, but you're, you're the key to this. You're the key. You're, your husband uh, need, has going to have some special needs as we go, as we get, you know, this disease progresses. And uh, and so I just want to let you know now we got to start things off right. And he's going to have, first of all, he's going to have to have a very clean environment. I mean, it's going to have to be free from dust. It's going to have to be sterile almost. And it could, you know, you, you may have to clean the house uh, two or three times a day. And also his diet is going to have to be very specific diet. I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to change the way you eat, change the way you shop. Everything is going to have to be different. He's going to have to um, uh, be fed a special diet. And in addition to that, as the disease progresses, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some help. He might need help getting up. He might need help walking. He might need you to help feed him and do some of the menial chores, you know, that, that, um, that he, he, he does, like brush his teeth. Wash his face, take a bath, use the bathroom, all this stuff. So the doctor laid this on the wife. She was kind of in shock. She didn't know what to say. And, uh, and so uh, go back into the room, and uh, the wife goes into the room first, and the husband looks at her, and she's got this look on her face. And he says, so, well, what did, what did he say? What did the doctor say? And the wife said, well, he said, you're going to die real soon. How many of you knew that was coming? <clears throat> yeah. You know, the idea of service is one thing, but the idea of intense service, stooping so low, uh, even for people we love, is a little bit of a shock to us. It's like, man, you know, I don't know if I signed up for this. I don't know if I have time for this. What about me? And so last week we started this series, it's a three-week series, and this is the middle week, and it's a deep dive into John chapter 13. John 13 is that chapter in John's gospel where uh, it, it begins what we call the upper room discourse. 
the upper room intimate conversation Jesus had with his disciples. His earthly ministry is over. It kind of culminated in the resurrection of Lazarus and then all the people were, uh, you know, not happy with him. They weren't happy with Lazarus because Lazarus now was winning as many people to follow Jesus as Jesus had been doing because of his testimony. And so the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, all of them, they were out to get him. And so here we are in John 13. It's the, it's the night before the cross. The cross is looming large. It's the night before, and Jesus <clears throat> is pulling his disciples into this upper room to give them one last talk, to spend a little bit of time. And John 13, really through 17, and a little bit of 18 is, is this whole conversation that goes on. And it's some really uh, intense stuff here in these chapters, some big stuff. John 13 is one of those great chapters in the Bible because it, by not just word but in action, shows us who Jesus is and who we are. And, and so it's a big chapter. We're diving deep. Jesus, last week we saw they were in the middle of supper, what we would call the Last Supper. You remember that, um, that picture? Uh, I think Leonardo da Vinci drew it. And, uh, and the picture of Jesus and his 12. Remember that picture? They were all like posing for the picture. Well, that's not exactly how it was, but that is an interesting picture, and it's been studied by a lot of people. Uh, but this is that moment. It's the Last Supper. They were eating. Jesus, at s some point in the meal, probably toward the end of the meal, he gets up, and he takes his outer cloak off. He lays it down, and he picks up a towel, and he wraps it around his waist, and then he gets a basin of water, and he moves around the room, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. From Judas, the one who was going to betray him, and he knew that, all the way to Peter, who thought, no way you can do this for me, Lord, because you're here and I'm here, and it just this is not supposed to work this way. He washed everybody's feet in that room. Now, in honor of that moment, and because we're in this series, we're going to end our service a little bit differently today. Uh, we've been last week and today and next week even, and maybe beyond, we're, we're taking communion at the end of the service, but we thought in the spirit of this passage, we would do something a little differently. And so what we're going to ask you to do, we, now we don't have enough bowls or basins, but we do have some moist towels, and we got some of those shop towels uh, to, for drying. But what we're going to do is we're going to ask you at the end of the service to remove your shoes and your socks, and we're going to ask you to wash the feet of the person to your right. Okay, we're not going to do that. I'm just kidding. John was so scared he walked out on us. We're not going to do that. I know some of you are thinking, oh, my word, what in the world? What did socks did I put on today? I can't even, one lady in the first service said, I can't even get down there to take my shoes off. How, I've got this gnarled bunion on my foot. What are they going to think about that? Well, that's an awkward thing, isn't it? It's kind of an awkward thing. It's a little bit of a scary moment when you ask people to do that because you're like, okay, all right, I'm going to do this. We're just going to get through this. I remember as a kid, we did this kind of thing at church camp and other places. Uh, and it, it, it does have uh, a moment of intensity there when 
But if you're a teenager, you know, you're kind of like, you're hoping you get her feet, you know, like, okay, I want, I'll do her feet, okay? I'll do her feet. Uh, but we're not going to ask you to do that because, uh, and I'll share in just a moment, I don't think this was, I don't think this was intended to be a regular practice of the church. Now, you might disagree with me based on the passage we're getting ready to read, but I think if it had been more than just a customary thing, a first century customary thing that required, you know, it was required to be done because you're, uh, you know, that's the way you wore uh, sandals and your feet would get dirty. You don't see this in the New Testament, uh, you know, after the Gospels. You don't see, you don't see the Apostle Paul talking about this in his list of a worship service and. 1 Corinthians 14, you don't read about this in 1 Timothy 3 when P, uh, Timothy is told to, you know, get the church in order and make sure things are done in this kind of way. So we don't practice foot washing here. We're not against it. We're definitely not against it, and some churches do, and that's fine. But we don't practice it as an ordinance like we do, say, the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take. The Lord's Supper is something that they did then. Baptism is something that they did then. And those really are the only two ordinances we might we carry over from the first century until now. And they both of them have um, a salvation uh, uh, interest and salvation purposes and, and meanings. Uh, you know, they're all connected to the, to the sacrifice of Christ, his, his, um, uh, his crucifixion. And, you know, the Bible talks about baptism being you buried with Christ. And communion, he says, remember what I've done for you. So, but foot washing is not one of those things. But that's what Jesus did, and it really set the mood. It set the stage here for what he wanted to teach. Because remember, this is his last night with them, and he wanted to drive this point home in the most direct and intense way he knew how. And this is one of the greatest acts of humility, the greatest moments in his ministry uh, that anybody could have imagined. Now, I want to remind you what Martin Luther King Jr. said in light of our series of trying to use this chapter to inspire us to be servant leaders. Martin Luther King Jr. said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And that's a great question for Christians of all ages, isn't it? What are you doing for others? So let's look at John 13, start with verse 12. He's already washed their feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. And I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, that is what Judas is going to do. You may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. <clears throat> so let's dive deep into this section, really the whole chapter. And I only have one main point today. You'll be happy to know. Only one main point. And here's the main point. A servant leader 
is a leader in serving. Now, you might think, Dave, come on, you could have had a more theological point or a little more complex point if you're just going to have one point. Duh, that's kind of a, everybody knows that. But, no, let's think about it. Uh, think about it. So many of our leaders today don't start at the bottom. They, they don't really do what they say they are. We have in a lot of areas of our uh, a culture, you know, not just the church, but government, entertainment, athletics, any, any area, pick any area. And there are a lot of people who are there because, not because they earned it, but because someone just put them there. They put them there. And once they get there, they got that name recognition, and it's like, oh, that's hard to beat right there. I don't know what you've done for me lately, but, uh, you know, I guess we'll keep you there. It's old money. It's nepotism. It's status. And I want to tell you something. The world respects status, but God does uh, reward service. He rewards service. That's what God looks at. God doesn't care how many degrees you have or how high you made it at your work. Or, he, doesn't, he doesn't care how important you are or others think you are. What he rewards is service. Now, the, the hard thing about this is we're taught from a very young age to go after status. We're taught to study hard, to work hard, to get that A on the report card, to get that good mark from the teacher, uh, you know, and we're rewarded with those things. We're rewarded with gifts or prizes. The, the business world rewards those who succeed by making more money for the company. They give them titles and bonuses and free trips. The social community envies those who have the best seats at the concert, the box seats up at the stadium, those who drive the finest cars and live in the biggest houses and who dress in the finest clothes and who are part of the best clubs and organizations. That will be, oh, those must be important people. Those are our leaders. And if you want to be considered important and get the likes on your social media page, then you have to look and dress the part. But Jesus calls us not to status, to forget our status, and to pursue servanthood. What if, what if think about this, what if you could only be a leader by starting out at the bottom? I mean, if you didn't start at the very bottom, you are automatically disqualified. If you... If you weren't known, let's say, at a business for being the one to take out the trash and make the coffee or clean the bathrooms, then you, there's no way you could be the CEO. And a lot of CEOs did start that way. And, you know, I, I know a lot of generals now. Uh, I'm talking in the military. A lot of higher-ranking officials that started out as privates. They started out as privates, and they worked their way up. Now, the military system isn't perfect. But it is a good model for servant leadership because you got to earn that. You know, you got to be in that position before you can go to the next position. If you take out the type A personalities, uh, the military would really be a good model because a lot of people in the military, they got type A personalities. I mean, they got to have it their way. Wait a minute, I, I wear a uniform on the weekends every now and then. But if you take that out, that I want to control this. I want to do this. And it's hard to take out, but if you, you know, this system is really a good system. John R.W. Stott, one of the greatest English 
preachers and theologians of our century once said, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. What if, think about this, in the church, you were only allowed to lead if you had shown yourself to be one of the best servants? In other words, and, and if, if you wanted to remain in leadership, people had to recognize you as, that's the guy that was always picking up the cups after the service. That's the guy that was always helping with the chairs or the setting up the tables or picking up trash. He, he's always been a leader in serving. So, yeah, that's why he's our servant leader. What if that's the way we, we did this? Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, are you willing to follow my example? Now, we might expect him to say, I washed your feet, now you wash my feet. You know what? I think if he had said that, even today, I don't think there's a one of us who wouldn't line up to wash the feet of Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you like to have been there on that day at Calvary? And when he said, I thirst. I mean, we, we would have fought a, a legion of Roman soldiers just to get to the cross to give him one drop of water for his tongue. What would you not do for Jesus if we had him here in the flesh? He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, I washed your feet, now you wash my feet. No, no, he said, I washed your feet, now you wash one another's feet. And don't you think there was like a, oh, man, Jesus, we wash your feet. You know, the, the, the centurion fell at his feet. Mary fell at his feet. The woman wiped her, his feet with her hair and washed them with her tears. But he said, no, no, no. You wash one another's feet. This is the example I have set for you. This is, why I, this is why I don't think this is something that is set up as an ordinance that the church is supposed to continue doing. Although he says here, uh, I've done this, you ought to do this. What he, he's talking, he said, do you understand? It's not just about your stinky feet. I, I see dirty feet. And I, I, see, I see dirty hearts. And I see confused minds. Do you, do you see what's happening here, Jesus said? We're about to wrap it up, and I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I want you to understand that the way we win, the way we carry out the mission, the way we do what we're supposed to do is not by kicking our feet up and expecting others to serve us. It's by us getting down, rolling up our sleeves, and getting our hands dirty. That's the way we're going to win. It was a bloodied lamb. It's a bloodied lamb. And so that, that's what Jesus is teaching here. You see, servant leadership is a radical concept. You think about it. What, what leader of Jesus' day or our day or any day has practiced this as his way to the top? And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you do this in order to get to the top. I'm saying a servant leader is a leader in serving. It's a radical concept. I wonder if we really understand how 
radically different Jesus wants us to be in, in our lives, even today, especially today. You see, we're not just saved from our sin. We are saved from our futile life, our life of self, selfishness. You know, I'm convinced that social media today is a, uh, not, not only a, the, the driver of social media, and I know we all have social media, even me, but I'm like some of you, I only have it to watch what you're doing. <laughs> but I'm convinced that the driver of social media is a love for ourself. It's a love for ourself. Look at me. Look at my family. Look at our trip. Look at what I'm driving. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. And I, again, I'm not saying you should do away with your social media, but you might have a, you might have a happier life if you did. Because you got to look at what they're doing and what they're wearing and what they're driving, where they live and the trips they're taking and the good stuff they're doing. And you're just like, man, my husband, he just won't do that for me. What kind of a marriage do we have? You won't do that for me. Or, you know, my kids, just they just don't look like their kids. I mean, the preacher's kids look so good. I'm my kids do look good, but it's not the point. You know what I'm saying? I love my kids, and we all do, but... I'm, I'm just convinced that this is such a radical concept, and the longer we go, the more radical it becomes. The more radical it becomes. You see, the world defers to the crowd, but God honors the humble. The world tells us to build yourself up. God says to lose your life. The world tells us to stand up for our rights. God says to give up our rights for others. The world tells us to choose our own path. Choose your path. Do what you want to do. God says, no, choose, choose my path. The world honors the rich and the powerful, but God honors the bent knee and the broken heart and the wet eye. God didn't save the strutter. He saved the humble. He doesn't use celebrities. He uses servants. They might be a celebrity, but God can use them when they're servants. Three times in the Bible we see this phrase, God resists the proud and gives grace to the successful. Is that what it says? No, to the humble. You see, Jesus did not want his disciples to slip into the cultural norms of the religious leadership around them. Following him, even for those who would lead the way in following him, would be radically different than the leaders that they were seeing out there in the world. And you know, the more you grow, the more we grow to become more like Christ, the more we see how important his way is and how shallow the way of the world really is. You know, he rebuked this in Matthew 23, and if you want to see Jesus, you know, firing from both pistols, Matthew 23 is what you ought to read. I'm just going to read you a section of it, but this is what he was combating. He was trying to turn these men into servant leaders, and this was the example they had seen all their life. This is what they had seen and continued to see and continue to see. He said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. In other words, do what they say, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries. That was what they wore on their head that had the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 passage. 
They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Oh, hello, rabbi. And being called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. I don't want you to call me Father Dave. I want you to be Father Dave. We're all brothers. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, true spiritual leaders lead in serving. That's what they specialize in. That's what Jesus continued to model on his first day on the earth. There was no star shining over a palace. It was shining over a stable. Didn't even have four walls. On his last day on the earth, there, there was no great uh, banquet or no great parade into some city. No. He got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. From his first day to his last day, he, he modeled this for us. He showed this for us. Why some traditions and some churches miss this, it's so hard to see, is that this is about him. One preacher I listen to says when he sees a need that needs to be met, he asks the Lord, he says, Lord, is this an assignment you have given me or is this just something that needs to be done? So when we see a need, we can ask the Lord. We can say, Lord, hey, wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning. You, you see something needs to be done. Needs to be done. Maybe it's making your bed. Uh, you, you should ask yourself, Lord, is this an assignment that you have for me or should my wife be doing this? You know, I talked about toilet seats last Sunday. And I apologize. I don't know. That to me is the most disgusting thing to do. And the bad thing is, if uh, guys, you see the bottom, but she doesn't. And if you leave it up for her to see, you're in trouble. So you got to clean the toilet seat. Well, last week, this, this past week, John, Tracy, Mark, and I, went over to Penn Station for lunch. And uh, so we ordered, and then I went into the restroom. There in the restroom, there's one urinal. Ladies, you know what a urinal is, don't you? There's one urinal, but it was covered, so it was out of order, and then there was a toilet. So I had to use the toilet. But when I went over to the toilet, <coughs> I looked down. It was dirty. It was dirty. I don't need to describe it. And so I had this sermon on my mind, and so I asked, Lord, is this an assignment you have for me, or is this just something that needs to be done? And uh, the Lord said, no, there's a guy in the back. He, that's what he does. That's what he does. <laughs> that's not what the Lord told me, by the way. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I did, but, uh, uh, I, I, you know, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, no, 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 no. This is somebody else's job. It's not my job. Somebody, that's not 
that's not even my wife's on that toilet. That's, I mean, it's not mine. It's not even hers. What am I? I can't do that. It's not even clean or sanitary. Okay, we'll move past that. But you, you get the idea, right? When you see something that needs to be done, you should ask yourself the question, Lord, is this an assignment for me? I don't have time for this. I, you know, I, I'm going somewhere. I've got stuff to do. Or is, is this is something somebody else should do. Could it be possible that you could say, okay, okay, I didn't want, want to do this. I can do that. I mean, it's not that I can't do that. It's not that I don't know how. I don't think God would give you something to do that you don't know how to do unless he sent someone to train you how to do it, right? It's like some of you are thinking, well, what could I do? I, I can't serve in the nursery. I don't know anything about this. Hey, we can teach you. We can teach you. Uh, you can change a diaper in the name of Jesus. And, uh, you know, you do, have to, you, have, you do have to pass a background check before we'll put you in there. But the, is it something you can do? Let's think about at home. What about at home? We talked about toilet seats. Let's talk about ceiling fans. Let's talk about clothes. Let's talk about your bed. Anybody do any of that stuff this week because you saw it and it needed to be done? Or do you say, oh, she'll be home by 4. She can get that done before I get there. You know, when we first brought Jameson home about seven years ago, I had, uh, and I never, I never had a whole lot of success in getting my daughters to do things outside the home. They were great at inside. I mean, you know, you'd be, if you set your cup down and you were only half finished, one of the girls would come by and pick it up and take it to the sink before you were done. It's like, no, you had to hold your cup like this. They were good at that kind of stuff. When it came to outside, uh, they didn't do a whole lot of that. You know, it was dad in the garden, dad in the yard, dad outside doing all this stuff. And I, I kind of made a deal with my wife. Okay, you take care of that, I'll take care of this. And if it needs fixed inside, Give me, um, you know, a couple months, and I'll get it done. And that's about, that's starting, that's from start to finish, trying to get it done. But when I brought Jameson home um, from Haiti, I said, finally, I've got some help around the house. And so I just remember the first day of taking Jameson out in the yard, we had a blue bucket and a shovel. And we had a big dog, a golden retriever lab mix. Isabel was her name, and we've since had to put her down a couple years ago because of her age. And anyway, I took Jameson to the yard, and I said, Jameson, you see that right there? That's got to get out. Get over there before we cut the grass. Jameson didn't say, uh, what? I come from Haiti all the way to here. I didn't come here to do that. I came here to kick my feet up. Nope. He didn't even complain. He didn't stop. He didn't hesitate. He went out there and started scooping up the bucket full, and I'm like, Yes got some help but he and I continue to do that just so you know as a team but when we had to put our dog down I can't say he wasn't I can't say he was unhappy about that because that's one of the lowest jobs I mean do you do that at your house somebody's got to do it nobody wants to do it and see here's a good thing about this at home we can do something because there's I don't think any of you have servants. What about here at church? What about here at church? We could do more here at the church, couldn't we? I mean, you could say, no, they pay somebody to pick up that trash. They pay somebody to clean out those communion cups. They pay somebody to move those tables. They pay somebody to set up those chairs. They pay somebody to, to pick up the trash off the bathroom floor. Uh, somebody will get those lights. 
they'll take care of that because we're, we're a bigger church, you know. Surely they got somebody that they can pay to do that. But uh, there's a lot of ways you could volunteer. You could volunteer. You could do things. You, what, what if when, next time it rained on a Sunday, we had a line of, of 10 or 12 people holding umbrellas waiting to go out and meet people so they wouldn't get wet coming into the church? What if we had people who said, you know what? We're healthy. We're young. We're going to park over there in the fire uh, in, the, in the city lot or over there near the fire station. But we're going to park way over there so that others, older, maybe those with needs, can park up next to the building and walk in. But we're healthy. We can park way over there. Might mean we have to leave five minutes earlier, ten minutes earlier. But there are so many things you could do to lead in serving. And what about where you work? What about where you work? You know what you could do tomorrow where you work? You could stop at that first cubicle or that first person and, and stop. And, and you're not in a hurry to get to where you're going. I mean, you are, but you stop and you look them in the eye and you say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Well, what about your wife or what about your husband? Do you know how rare face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball conversations are these days with people? And I'm not talking just about work stuff. I'm talking about how are you? What can I do for you? And a note of encouragement. I know you've You've been struggling with this. I'm, here's a note. We're, we're praying for you, me and my small group or my church. And uh, there, there's so many radical things we could do that didn't used to be radical, but they're radical now because it's a radical thing. And here's the beauty. Serving others is serving Jesus. You want to wash his feet? By washing others, it's washing his. I love the focus verse. I say to you as As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Mark 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And then let's look at verse 17 again in, in John 13. The world pursues happiness, but God promises blessedness. He says, if you know these things, blessed if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. The world tries so hard to be happy. It tries so hard to get the things of the world we do to be happy, but the world promises and never delivers. That's why John says all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. I heard a story a a grown man told. This grown man recalls when he was a boy when he was a boy on a very snowy day, he was sitting in, in his living room, young teenager. He was a young teenager, and he was watching some TV show, and his dad came in. His dad had been out shoveling their driveway and their, their walk. And his dad came into him, and he said, Son, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching TV. He said, You know, tomorrow you're, you're not even going to remember. 24 hours, you won't even remember what you watched there. How would you like to do something It'll only take you 20 minutes, but you'll remember it for the rest of your life. And I promise you, every time you remember it, you'll be happy about it. What? The boy said, what? He said, down the street, old Mrs. Brown, she's a widow. Her, her sidewalk needs to be shoveled. Why don't you see if you can take our shovel and go down there and shovel her walk and get back her with, here without her even knowing it? And this man wrote, he said, uh, he said, I did it. He said, uh, I did it in 15 minutes. She never knew who did the job, and Dad was right. It's been a lot more than 20 years, he said, and I have enjoyed the memory of that day every 
time I've thought about it. There's a sense of joy and blessedness in serving, in serving. But you know, the, here, here's the danger. <clears throat> if, if you go out of here and you say, okay, I want to be a leader in serving. It's like me when I, when I, uh, you know, when I clean the toilet seat at my house. I would like for my wife to say something about it. I would like for her to announce at dinner, oh, dad did a great job on the toilet seat. You guys can go check it out. Oh, wow, so good. How did you do that, honey? Show me how you did that again. There's one in here. <laughs> Leading and serving is what we're supposed to do, but it's without expectation of reward. It means intentionally putting yourself at the bottom and intentionally making yourself available to other people. And here's the great thing, and I believe the last subpoint. I told you I only had one main point. I didn't tell you how many subpoints I had. Serving is not something we do. It needs to become who we are. It needs to become who we are, doesn't it? It's, it's who we are. We're called to serve, but we're called to lead in serving. We're called to be leaders in serving. You want to be a leader? Okay. Start serving. Start serving. Let's be leaders in serving. That's the example Jesus set for us. And it's not always easy. It's not always the best job. It's not always a clean job, but it's what he's called us to do. Now, we're gonna, we are going to end the service uh, by taking the Lord's Supper because this moment in the upper room, this is what Jesus is getting to. The, the climax of that discussion was the Lord's Supper, I think, maybe washing the feet in the Lord's Supper to remind them of something they would do later in their life of the price he paid. So I'm going to have prayer. I'm going to invite you after the prayer just to go to the tables and take it back to your seat and meditate for a bit on what he's done and doing in your life. And then after a minute or so, the band will sing our final song. And if you have a, a decision that you'd like to make, maybe to trust Christ for the first time, to follow that up with baptism, to put roots down here, if you need prayer, you can come during the song or at any other time uh, after my prayer. So let's pray. God, thank you for the example you set for us and help serving be who we are, not just something we do. Help us to be a, a person and a family that leads in serving. Help us to be a church where the community says, man, they're always serving. They're always serving. I, I want to go there. They're always serving. Help us not to say, Lord, I need a church that meets my needs. Help us to say, Lord, what church can I be involved with so that I can help meet needs? That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.